How to figure out who you are is the topic of this discussion. Welcome, Simon Jacobson here, and we're here every week. I've been doing this for many years. However, I always feel fresh and new as if it's for the first time. Because when you can tap into that energy, that renewable, perpetually renewable energy that really is pulsating and giving life and vitalizing and revitalizing us and all of existence every moment, there's something new and fresh in anything you do, even if it sometimes seems to be a routine. I try to cover different topics and do cover different topics. And of late, we've been really getting topics based on your interests. So this question has come up, how to figure out who you are. Now, initially, it may, it may, it may generate a chuckle or two, like, oh, I know who I am. Why would I have to figure that out? But um, bear with me. Many people, when you ask them, most people, I would say, and I've tested this a number of times, and they say, who are you? You know what they do? They give you their business card. And then when you say to them, your business card is what you do, not who you are. So some, without even missing a beat, say, what I am is what I do. What I do has become who I am. Think about that for a moment. What you do has become who you are. Shouldn't it be the other way around? Who you are should dictate and define and direct what you do. But we don't really know who we are because that's an inner type of experience that takes work and education and training to figure out who you are. So most of us define ourselves by what we do. The circumstances of our lives, the activities, becomes the definition of who you are. Now you add to the equation parental influences from the youngest years, impressionable years, educational influences, social influences, media influences. Right there, you could see how it's so possible that you may not have a clue who you are because you are basically a product, if not a victim, of all these circumstances, of all these factors. So to figure out who you are is much more complicated than it may appear on the surface level. Now, for those that are completely happy that what I do is who I am and I'm not looking to dig deeper, this uh, class may not be for you. Even though I'd like to believe that it's for everybody, and I think everybody wants to get to know themselves a little better. And you don't have to be a rocket scientist to know that as much as you know about yourself, there's a lot more to know. We know that today. We know it in technology. We know it in science and medicine. And we know it also in psychology. What do we really know about ourselves? With all the breakthroughs, with all the medical advancements, with all the insights, we still don't know so much about the mystery that is the human being. And that's even the rest of the system, let alone the mind, the brain. What do we know about this brain, this mind? So it would be presumptuous and not be very wise to just say I know everything about myself. So hopefully this program will help provide tools and methods, I should say methods and tools, to dig a little deeper and figure out who you really are. And that in turn should inform what you do it's decisions you make, who you should interact with, and what you should be involved with, your involvements. In a business, you always start the mission statement dictates the activities, not the activities dictate the mission statement. 
Just because people are doing things, they need to constantly be checked and double-checked and checks and balances to make sure that the company is acting in accordance with its mission. And now that the mission is being hijacked by activities and actions that may not be fulfilling the calling of that particular entity. The same thing with the human being, same thing with each one of us. So think about it logically. There's two ways to figure out how some, what something is, in whatever it may be. If it's a clock, you want to know what makes a clock tick. If you want to know what any object, any appliance, anything in the world, any phenomenon, any, uh, any entity is made up, you can figure it out two ways. One is by digging deeper and breaking it open. And let's say, what makes the clock tick? You, look, you open it up and you look inside, under the dashboard, as they say. Another way is through process of elimination. By figuring out what you're not, you slowly extrapolate and can come to realize what you are. I'm going to be suggesting both methods because they're both necessary. Due to the complexity, it's sometimes easier actually to go with a second approach by working your way through negating and saying, this is what I'm not, this is what I'm not, till you come to realize, uh, or at least you're open to realize what you are. So that's the point of our discussion of figuring out who we are, who you are. So let's start, as I said, with the process of elimination. Who are we not? So let's begin. As children, who are your, our first influences? Our parents. Second influences are educators and our friends in school. Third is society around us. And that broadens as we get older into the social circles we orbit, or the media circles, the social media circles, or the other influences that affect our brain and affect us all the time. And that can be advertising and marketing and the people we meet and our experiences. Now think about it. You're an impressionable young child, like a warm ball of wax, all excited, all free abandon, all receptive to absorb it all, and all kinds of things barrage and inundate us. Many of them may be good things. Many of them may be loving, invalid, validating, confirming, nurturing. But many of them may not be that way. And the vulnerable child, which is you and I in that age, that age is absorbing whatever comes our way, including the blows and the scars and the wounds. And that begins to affect our self-perception. Now, if we were fully cognizant, aware, and control of who we are when we're very young, then we would say, you know what? I'm not accepting abuse. I'm not accepting an insult. I'm not accepting an invalidating statement. I stand strong with who I am, but that's not the case. Children are vulnerable, and like a freshly fallen snow, they're very receptive to whatever comes their way, like a dry sponge. So if a negative energy comes our way, it begins to impact how not just impact us, but also impact how we see ourselves. So when you think about who we are, the self-perception is very much influenced and distorted by our experiences. So then you can say by process of elimination that we are not necessarily what our parents or others imposed upon us. Now, some of it may be who we are, but not necessarily. So very often, the perception you have of yourself as an adult is based on a collective, accumulative, I should say, 
um, for, uh, a cumulative series of forces and factors that have impacted you, and this is now how you see yourself. And it could very well be you see yourself, how your parents want, saw, saw you, how others expected of you, what they want of you and demand of you that would make them happy. The question is, is that really you? Or have you been jumping through hoops and trying to adjust and accommodate others? Now, this doesn't always mean, as, as, uh, it's not always as um, malicious as it sounds, because it could also come from a very neutral place. Your parents may have expectations of you, and they may be good expectations, but it's not you. And they may have, they may have projected upon you and influenced you to go in that direction, though it may not have been the full natural you. Or you can have parents, actually, that did cultivate the you, and you do have a much more sense of yourself. But the important thing to know is that we don't know until we really look at this closely. So the first thing is who you're not, you're not somebody else. You're not your parents, you're not your friends, you're not your teachers, you're not the society around you. Do you have similarities and commonalities with them? Absolutely. But you are not them. Every one of us will go through an identity crisis, especially as we grow into adolescence, where we realize I'm not similar necessarily to my classmates. Even though I grew up with them, I may love them, we may really have a, a strong and deep camaraderie, but we may not be alike. But children are, tend, to be, tend to gravitate to groups, and they follow the group. Individuality does not emerge till later. So when you grow and you start cutting the umbilical cord in the metaphorical sense of it, figuratively, as well as identifying yourself as an individual as separate from your group, from your community, from your commune, then becomes the question, so who is this person? Some of us actually go through quite an um, overwhelming period when we make that transition. Sometimes we don't find who we are, and we continue to look for the group to follow or to conform to. So, this, so the first step in the process of elimination would be is to identify you're not someone else. You're you. And the you is unique and special, exclusive, and there are things you have that no one else on earth has. Do we have things in common, as I mentioned? Absolutely. But the common is the common. We all have two eyes if you're a healthy person and have a nose and a mouth, certain personality features, especially if they're genetic. We have things that we do have from our society or culture or faith or religion. But there's always something about you that is completely unique to you. In a healthy environment... In the young, impressionable age, that would have been cultivated, that would have been nurtured, that would have been watered, <clears throat> fed like a flower to blossom into becoming that you. Now let me just, as a footnote, say individuality is not a contradiction to co coexistence and cooperation. As a matter of fact, someone that's very secure of who they are can very well and confidently work with others, and realize how they all complement each other, how we all complement each other. So that's as a footnote. So individuality is not anarchy, is not extreme to the point where there's no coexistence or cooperation or symbiosis. But individuality means there's something unique, and it's not somebody else. So maybe one way to go, and we'll soon go to the other approach, is to begin by saying, who, are, who do I identify with? 
Who have I been copying? Who I've been emulating? Who's my hero? And are they worthy of being my role model? Maybe they're not worthy. So it's a, a matter of introspection, soul-searching, and looking for the things, the forces, the people, the individuals that have shaped and helped define who you are today. And you'll often find that's not really who you are. That's who you have become. Just like your work doesn't define you, these role models don't define you. So it's well worth looking at it. Because you may find some role models that are really exemplary and should and are appropriate templates, so to speak, and backdrops where we can juxtapose ourselves and identify with or help learn to identify ourselves. But there are many forces, and this can include sports heroes, this can include Hollywood stars, it can include celebrities of different sorts, all kinds of individuals that we live vicariously through them, soap opera actors, and so on. Instead of becoming ourselves, we look at them and we almost like live through them, try to be like them or compare ourselves to them. So again, if it's a role model that's worthy of learning from, absolutely. But if it's not, you may be losing your identity and with the easy way of just finding another identity to emulate and copy. So make a list of people you feel are those that have shaped and, and helped define you. And see, look at each one of them closely, list them on a paper, and make a mark, one to 10. Well, 10 being exemplary role model, someone I would love to continue to learn from and emulate because of their qualities and virtues. And zero being someone that is just some type of escape for me, unhealthy and completely not appropriate for me to try to look for my identity in that person. And of course, one, there's, there's the middle of the spectrum, one, two, three, depending how you identify that person. So it's a well worth effort and you'll find it quite illuminating and empowering to recognize the forces that have defined you. And even the good ones, it's well worth looking into because there may be some things that is, that is valuable for you to be emulating, being, to be, um, to be uh, uh, learning from. And there's some things maybe not. Or there's sometimes we learn from our teacher, then there comes the time that you need to find it on your own, which means to go off on your own. You can't always remain the student to that particular person. We always remain students, but if you get trapped of always having that one person, even if it's a good person, you need to find your independent and individual voice. And this is especially true, I should add, when it comes to the, in the world of religion and religious culture, because there there are expectations and demands and so-called absolute values that often your own models impose on you or project upon you and you feel you need to live up to that and you feel guilty if you don't. Review that. Review that with another person. Maybe there's some things you shouldn't be so neurotic about. Maybe there's some things you shouldn't be so extreme about. So it's about really a soul-searching, introspective experience of looking at the forces that you know, that you're conscious of, that have shaped you. By looking at that, you can start identifying what are the things that I, I'm not, what are the things that I am, what are the things that I don't know yet that I'm learning. And it's fine. This is a work in progress, a learning experience. This is extremely valuable. And more importantly, also including your friends. Looking at your friends. They may not be shaping you, but they may be helping define you because either you want to fit in or because they're judging, judgmental, or you want to be liked. 
you want to please. And sometimes you hang around friends that actually are bad influences. So all this is part of this exercise. In step, in approach number one, figuring out who you are by, by eliminating who you're not. Let's not go to the second half. The second half is finding actually who you are through another type of process, not by eliminating, which I believe has to begin with that. It makes it easier, but actually finding things that resonate and really identify the real you. Now, how do you find that out? You can't dissect yourself. You can't look in the mirror. The first step, you have at least things to look at and then either approve or disapprove or eliminate or include them in, the, in helping define your personality, your identity. But the second way, what are you supposed to be doing exactly? So here comes the process of really learning about yourself. Know thyself. Learning about your soul and its components. Because just like the body, like they say about health and medicine, the more you know about your own way your body works, the more you will most likely maintain it. Make sure that its fitness and its welfare is maintained in the healthiest level. When you don't know that what you eat is, let's say, toxic, or that you're not exercising properly, or other things that you should be doing that either supplement or feed or nourish you, you don't know your body, you don't know what to put into that body. And this includes breathing and includes uh, other things that we, we consume or digest or ingest. Same thing with the soul. The first step in this, in this approach is get to know yourself. What is your soul like? Do you have any clue? So this is something I talk about quite often, that the soul is, number one, as we say in the morning prayer, is pure. It's divine. In the words of the Bible, the divine image. What does the word divine mean? Well, we know from process of elimination, divine is not human. It's not man-made. It means it has some type of transcendent element to it, which is unique to the soul. A body without a soul is a corpse. I'm sorry for being morbid. A dead, lifeless entity. A soul brings vitality. It brings its dynamic. It's energetic. What does that mean in simple English? The soul aspires to things. It dreams. It imagines. The body is the vehicle. So if you think of soul and, and body, you can think of the captain and the ship. I have a beautiful chapter, my first chapter in the book, Toward a Meaningful Life, called Body and Soul, really describes it well. Using the analogy of the body being like the wick and the soul being like the flame, based on the book of Proverbs, that the flame of God is the soul of a human being. So soul is the best approximation of a soul that we can, um, we can envision is a, is a flame. What is a flame? It's always rising, defying gravity. It flickers. It's always moving. It illuminates. It warms. And other properties of light that we've discussed many different classes, and I refer you, just look up light and search in our site, meaningfullife.com, for many more fascinating elements of light that's reflective and as mirrored in our souls. So when you think of it that way, you, that resonates quite powerfully. It resonates that, yes, a soul is a transcendent force. It aspires. All of us search for transcendence in many different ways. And it's about looking for something beyond yourself. The more you get to know about this soul, the more you get to know about you, who you are. Because if you're going to look just at your body, most bodies are similar. Even though everybody has its own features, 
But as far as the physical systems work, they're pretty much similar. Even, again, even though there are this, this differences. But the soul is your real identity. That's what makes you tick. And the more you know about the soul, the features of the soul, the more you can begin to realize which one speaks to you, which one resonates. You ever listen to music? I'm sure you do. Music resonates. You don't need to be trained to listen to music. You may need to be trained to sing music, to play music, but to, to hear music, because the soul natural language is music. It's, the, it's what we call soul travel. That's how a soul travels. And think of it, when you listen to music, you can be sitting in one place, but you're transported to another time and space. It can make you cry, it can make you laugh, you dance to the rhythm, to the beat. Music resonates. That means music is very much reflecting of who you are and identifies your inner identity. Because it's not some force that someone's imposing on you, you feel it. Just like other experiences that we feel that resonate within us in the deepest personal way. So this is the second part. Besides learning about your soul, is doing things that resonate with your soul. Now, important qualification. There's some things that may resonate with you, though they're not really you, because you've been trained and programmed and even brainwashed that it should resonate. So you need to keep that in account as well. And that's something you need to determine. Sometimes it helps having an objective mentor or friend that can help you determine that. But going back, most cases when something resonates, you can look at it with some type of trust. Though, as I said, you have to always proceed with caution because you never know. Maybe you were manipulated, maybe you've been programmed, maybe you've been trained and, and um, conditioned in that way. But it's a direction, and music is a good example. Because music touches us from the youngest age and is very much part of our inner reality. So with that, when we think of it those terms, then look at other items and experience. Some people through reading a book, poetry, art, travel, sometimes meeting individuals, things that resonate with you. You sense that that really makes sense. These are signposts that are sent our way to be able to help us identify that inner self. Because remember, when we're born, we don't, we're not born with a little box, an operator's manual that says, here is who you are. Live up to it. We're only told that we are someone unique, but you have to find out what that uniqueness is. So two steps so far. We've discussed the process of elimination, one, what you're not. But now we're talking about discovering who you are, number one, by studying and getting to know yourself and your soul. And getting to know your soul. And two, experiences that touch your soul. Let's talk a little more about getting to know. So a few weeks ago I spoke about this, that the soul is made up of parts, just like the body is made up of parts. There's the unconscious, or we call it the superconscious part of the soul, but there's the conscious. It's made up of the cognitive faculties and the emotional faculties. The way the masters, the mystics put it, three cognitive faculties, seven emotional ones. And we all have those ten. However, the exact measure, the exact tempo, the exact, um, uh, what's the word I want to look at, the exact uh, mixture and blend of these ten is different by each one of us. Some are extremely strong in the cognitive we'll talk about first, in conceiving ideas. They're great as ideas. Others are, very, that's Chochmah, the first of the cognitive. Others are much better and very good at fleshing out an idea. 
They don't come up with an idea, but give them an idea and they'll turn it into magic. Usually these two don't, are not similar. So someone who has the first, that shows that your identity, who you are, is a chokhme type of person. Though you also have bina, which is the fleshing out and developing of an idea, development, but what's your strength? What's your primary strength? And then there's the third cognitive faculty, which is called das. It's called, it's called the, the conclusion, the sense that something is right, the resonance, you can even say, the, the clarity, the recognition of the truth of an idea. And some are very good at that. They sense it. We all have all three, but again, which one's dominant? This is how we study about the soul. You study about its components. Just like, for example, the body, someone will say, not everyone's born a super athlete. Some people are just born with a body structure, with limbs and muscles, that even if others condition themselves, would never come to their ability of, of finesse and, exp- and expertise. Why? Because their body just has that strength. Others have different strengths. So the same thing with the soul. Some are fa- some faculties of some are strong in one faculty, and pr- I would say dominant faculty. Same thing with the emotions. There's the seven emotions. Quickly, chesed, kind, love, and kindness, gvura, discipline and discretion, teferis, compassion, empathy, balance, netzach, endurance, determination, ambition, hoid, humility, yielding, yisod. Bonding, connecting, and Malchus, dignity. All these seven are seven critical emotions that conclude, that's the entire spectrum, that within it include many, many subcategories. And they're all interconnected. There's the, the discipline within love, the love within discipline. There's the compassion within discipline. There's the ambition within each one of them. And you can imagine seven times seven equals 49, and hence, you may be familiar with my book, called The Spiritual Guide to Counting the Omer, which just, some of you have asked about it, just now, a new edition just was published, which is, we begin counting the second day of Passover, but it's really an all-year-round book of exercise, an exercise book, which really, every day, it dissects one of these seven times seven emotions, and helps you focus and ask yourself questions to determine your, your, where you stand in that particular emotional um, faculty and exercises to help you develop that faculty, but it's a great way to help identify who? You. Because each one of us have a different makeup. That doesn't mean you can't strengthen it, just like when it comes, let's go back to talents. If you have a musical talent or an athletic talent, and some parts of your body are very strong, you still have to condition it. You still have to exercise it. And you can always make it grow. But when you know what, it, what your strengths are, you work on that. And the weaknesses, you try to make them better than they are. You improve it. But you put your most energy in really maximizing these greatest strengths while reinforcing and trying to improve even the places you may be weaker. So all this is part of the process of getting to know yourself. So this book is an excellent book, The Spiritual Guide to Counting the Omer. You can find it online at our site or on Amazon. Our site meaning MeaningfulLife.com And it's an excellent tool, an excellent journey into your own psyche of discovering your own spiritual DNA and genome and helping not just identify and recognize who you are, but also in what areas you should strengthen, what areas need improvement, what areas may be too much and you need to tame it down, and so on. So there you have knowing yourself. The second thing I said was experiences that resonate, experiences that help you identify 
what your soul is like. And that can come in all different forms. It can come from people you meet, places you travel to, things you listen to, all the different to all the different senses we have and how we absorb and how we relate, I should say, to different experiences. Now, when you couple, that covers number two, the discovering yourself. Sometimes you find a kindred spirit. You suddenly meet someone and you have a conversation. You say, you know what? My life is very much like yours. Or a lot of things you've gone through resonate with me. These are all part of the second approach, which is getting to know yourself, but through the experiences in life that help you find yourself in that way. Now, when you take both these approaches, and I say both, I mean both in the, in, I don't mean the two within the second one, but both meaning the process of elimination, things that you're not, and then looking at the things you are, you will find yourself a formidable, a formidable arsenal of tools that you may never have even accessed. Because what you're doing is not just taking for granted your life, taking your life for granted. You're not just letting it flow day by day, and life is what happens to you while you're busy making other plans. No, you're not busy making other plans. You're focusing on your life, on your identity, on your personal mission. And you're doing it in two ways. One is by identifying forces in your life today or in the past that have shaped and defined you, helped define you, and maybe they shouldn't have or partially should have, shouldn't have. And the second is you're identifying things that you are. And by doing both, you'll see how they complement each other. Because in many areas, you may not know if something resonates where that's coming from. But if you can identify that it's coming from a negative place, then you know. That's something you have to be careful of. You may be aware of yourself, let's say, in the different personality features I mentioned. Chesed, love, discipline. But you also want to know where you stand. You may have a very powerful ability to love people. But the way you've seen love in your life, by your par- in your homes, or by people that you were influenced by, may have been a very distorted form of love. So there you have one is who you really are, and two who you think you are, because based on those negative influence on you. So when you look at it from both angles, you really get to come to tremendous tools to be able to really discover yourself. So just as I said before, to have a journal, to have a, make a list of the things that have influenced you and determine from zero to ten how important, how valuable, how healthy those influences are and how much they really should be part of identifying the real you, the same thing on the other end, make another paper, another list where you write the things that you are learning about yourself. I seem to be strong in this area. I seem to not be so strong in this area. These are experiences that resonate with me, that are teaching me about myself. Document it, and then look at both, and you will find absolutely surprising results. You'll find things that you never were even aware of, because you never looked at it. And it's not that difficult, because once you're aware, you can say, wow, I wasn't even aware that I had that strength. I wasn't even aware that I had that influence that didn't let me access that strength. I've met many people. Sometimes you hear, and I say, let's find the talent you have. So one person I once met, a young man, and started to speak. You know, he had his challenges, his difficulties. He was depressed. I said, is there anything you like to do? He says, years and years ago, I used to like to write. But I haven't done it since I'm 14 years old. Why not? My parents criticized me. I was laughed at. So I stopped. I 
felt it was not worth it. I felt I was being mocked. I felt I wasn't good at it. I said, can I see something, write something? He was afraid initially to even try. But then when I pushed, he said, I'll, I'll send you something. He sent me something, yeah, a true writer. Now he needs cultivation, he needs training, he needs talent. He needs uh, um, conditioning, he needs experience, he needs mentors, but the talent is there. He didn't even believe in himself. Why? Because number one, the things that shaped him essentially obfuscated the things that he really is. So that's where these two lists become vital because they complement each other and they can help you get beyond that block. Obviously, as I said before, it's always best to do this with a mentor because when you have an objective person, it avoids the blind spots because very often we'll write things that not necessarily are completely accurate because that's also part of what was told to us. How we should look at things, how we should evaluate things. And that too could be limited because who taught you how to evaluate? If somebody who was themselves in deep, deep denial or unhealthy or did not have introspection taught you how to be introspective, you can imagine your introspection is also going to be somewhat compromised. That's why it's always good to have an objective friend, mentor, that you can trust, that you know will not judge you, know that you can completely open up with to help you go through these exercises. What stands, what's at stake here, and what stands at the destination, what the reward when you reach there, is something that is completely transformative. It's discovering the real you versus the fake you. Now let me explain when I say fake. It doesn't mean fake in the sense of completely fake. The projected you the superficial you, the you that has been defined by, as I said earlier in the beginning of this program, by circumstances, by people, by events. You want to get to know the real you. You want to be able to function from the inside out instead of the outside in. Instead of your actions and people and circumstances defining who you are, you want you, who you are, to define your circumstances, the people you know and activities and actions that you're involved in. And it's completely doable. But you need to free yourself. You need to free yourself from those subjective influences that I mentioned, and you need to free yourself by discovering the real you. That is, no question, a worthwhile endeavor. Because what's at stake, as I said, is you. And there's nothing more pleasurable and nothing more exciting and nothing more meaningful than to discovering yourself. Now, does this happen overnight? No, but it's a process. It's a journey. And you begin now. You begin as soon as you can. There's no reason to procrastinate. You don't need preparations. You don't need months of, of, of conditioning. You begin now. And how do you begin? As I said, start making the list. It doesn't have to be a comprehensive one. Slow, step by step, the things that influence you. Sometimes you immediately can identify the culprits, the negative forces the, 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 even the cruel and hostile people and, ex, and, ex, and experiences that have affected you. That's a good place to begin because it's very blatant. Then work your way toward the more subtle things. And the same, simultaneously, join a class, read a book, or find something that helps you identify your soul. And look for experiences that resonate with you, complementing that fact that you're finding out what your soul looks like, getting an x-ray of your soul. And as I said, my Omer book is a great place to begin, Toward a Meaningful Life as well. 
but especially the Omer because it dissects it in detail, then you begin to discover who you are, and that also helps you see the things that resonate with you. And when you, when you take these two approaches together, you will discover very quickly things that you were not aware. Or you were aware, but you never really paid enough attention to. And that, in turn, will help you make decisions. Where you should spend more time, where you should spend less time. Who you should spend more time with, who you should spend less time with. Who's validating, who's healthy, who helps you find yourself and identify your true calling, who's encouraging, and who just throws aspersions and doubts and always confuses and is resentful even. All these decisions you make in life are far more, far more realistic and far more healthy when they're informed by you, the you, the real you. Now, not everybody lo- loves their job. Most people, as a matter of fact, don't like their job. Yet they'll say their job defines them because that's what they do all the time. Some people have learned to like their job and very few, actually their work is who they are and that's a rarity, a minority, that their work is a labor of love. It's an expression of their real self. You can come to actually being involved in things that you really reflect the real you when you go through this process. You'll say, what happens if I find out my job is completely not me? So first of all, awareness is also emancipation. To know that, we all do things that are not always reflective of you. When you take out the garbage, or you do other things that are necessary as means, you know that it's a means. If you start identifying yourself with a garbage collector, and with all respect to them, that's their job, but you're not, it's not your job, that's the problem. We all go through challenges in life. We all suffer at times, but you're not a sufferer. It's don't identify with that experience. So that awareness that it's not you is already something. Then maybe that awareness can help you grow, and even in your job, discover things that you do like, discover, um, um, discover, uh, discover um, assignments or activities that really resonate with you, and maybe at some time you come to more clarity, you say, you know what, I want a different type of job, it's all fine. Sometimes you stay in the job because you need it for necessity to pay your bills, and as a hobby, you begin to write, play music, do other things, travel, that resonate, and help your soul grow and identify itself. There's many results that come out of this process. Don't think it's a black and white result. But awareness can never hurt. Awareness means that you become true, you become aware and clear about your reality. Instead of it being shrouded and clouded by others and blinded by other experiences and other people, you begin to shine from within. And you become a force of change. Proactive instead of reactive. The far-reaching implications and even, and even short-term results are beyond description when you have this inside-out approach. The peace of mind, the, the, those fears and insecurities that often haunt us whether we ask our, when we ask ourselves, am I really doing what I should be doing? Maybe I'm wasting my life. Maybe I'm wasting my time. All this is resolved to some extent when you learn who you are because you become at peace with yourself, comfortable in your own skin, and that defines your activities, your decisions, your relationships. 
Marriage itself, relationship itself, is deeply affected by this. Because very many times marriages are not working well, not because the people cannot work well, because they don't know themselves. So they're trying to be someone that they're not. You're masquerading to satisfy either your partner or someone else. Famous expression from Rab, from, from the, the Kotzke Rebbe, Menachem Mendel of Kotzke. He said, if I am I because you are you, and you are you because I am I, I am not and you are not. But if I am I because I am I, and you are you because you are you, then I am and you are. In simple English means that if we are ident- our identity is determined by our juxtaposition to someone else, then you're not. Because you're not determined who you are. You're constantly like a moving target, adjusting yourself to somebody else. And if that person is doing the same with you, so both of you are adjusting the blind, leading the blind. In a vicious cycle. But if I am I because I am I, my identity comes from within me, not in response to someone, not in reaction to someone, not brainwashed by someone, not imposed upon by someone else, then I am I, and you are you because you are you. Then I am and you are, and then these two can come together in a completely new way. And I've seen this with my own eyes. I've seen relationships, I've seen marriages that have we're, we're, suffocating, we're, being suffer, we're suffering and deteriorating. But when people began to connect in the ways that I mentioned in this class, one, by finding out who they're not and through that learning who they are, two, by discovering themselves, know thyself, through learning about themselves and resonating, it completely dramatically and radically changed their entire marriage because they began to find out, oh, I, I didn't even know that's who I am. So many of us are really not living the life that we could be, the best we can be, unfortunately because of a society and homes and education and parents that did not give us a fighting chance, the right to just be yourself, or did it in a distorted way. So it's a shame, a disgrace, but good news is there's a light at the end of the tunnel and that we can always find it because it's there ticking and beating inside of you, just like your heart is beating inside you, there's this force that's pulsating within each one of us, that is your unique identity, your unique soul, your unique mission, and it's time to reclaim yourself. We at the Meaningful Life Center are committed, this is our mission, to help you, to help each one of us, to help ourselves as well, find that unique voice, that unique song, and sing the song, and have the courage to sing it. Sometimes we know it, but we don't have the courage, which again is a projection that probably undermined us, so we're not we're afraid to be ourselves. Be you. We're here, we have resources. Go to MeaningfulLife.com, full array of resources that you can access. Much of it is free. And don't hesitate to write to us. We're happy to address your questions suggested topics you'd like to speak about, like us to speak about. And we have a whole series of programs that you can subscribe to. Weekly soul workouts, we call them part of our soul gym. That is what it's meant to help work out and, and, and cultivate and condition your soul. So we have a soul vitamin. We have a soul workout. We have a soul master class, which is this Wednesday night class, which is archived and available at any time. So please take advantage of our resources. Join us. We're partners. And help us in every possible way by spreading the word, by sharing, by liking. And of course, your financial support 
is what we survive on. Making a generous donation in the memory of a loved one or in honor of a loved one at meaningfullife.com slash donate. This has been an honor, as always, intersecting, cross-pollinating with my kindred spirits, yourself. Everyone be well, and until next week, this has been Simon Jacobson. Thank you.